This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Book Riot Insiders. Bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial of Book Riot Insiders. Sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription, and the first 14 days are free. You can wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read, get exclusive podcasts and newsletters, enter to win swag, and access our new release index curated by all the book's host and velocireader extraordinaire Liberty Hardy. It'll help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. So come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 286. We're recording on Thursday, November 9th. I'm Jeff mm, O'Neill. Friday, November 9th. Friday, We're November planning. 9th. Um, We're playing with time here, but you got your name yeah. right. Yeah, who am I? I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with you, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from planetbookriot.com. We're a little punchy today. It's We recorded a little bit. We're going to record earlier, then recorded later, <laughs> and then I told Rebecca a parenting I, yeah. story, and <laughs> got knocked her for a little bit of a loop about that. But anyway, little, we're back. A little bit of a loop. We are back. I've been traveling this week, right. so it's, I don't know where I am. Yeah, and we, we both little, may have had Kit Kats for lunch. Um, you know, it's part <laughs> of a well-balanced uh, Halloween diet. Uh, so here we go. We're back. Um, so I've got follow-up. This is follow-up also news as we... It's um, the year of retail is, is our theme for the Book Riot <laughs> podcast this week. A lot of we've been talking about Indigo enthusiastically, um, especially coming to New York, uh, New York, New Jersey, America, whatever, wherever country that we're in. Um, and I think one of the the priors we've been using is that Indigo is doing very well in Canada. Am I wrong to ascribe that feeling to you as well to I? No, me. that's correct. Yeah. You got it. And I, and I saw come um, in Publishers Weekly, the most recent financial uh, statement, uh, earnings report, I guess is what we call it, financial st- earnings report from Indigo. <laughs> and it's not, I was surprised how kind of muddling along they're doing. Um, they actually recorded a quarterly loss um, for, the, for the Q2 2013. Um, and a loss that's above last year's loss, which I guess I just, that's not the narrative I had in my head that Indigo was also losing money and accelerating a little bit. They ascribe some of the loss to, you know, they're opening new stores and doing renovations. Okay, fine. But then that would be profit. Okay, that's if the profit people do that. But their sales are down, right? So Mm -hmm. the sales fell 3.5% in the second quarter, and, you know, they say they closed some low-performing stores and some were closed for renovation. But still, if you're a growing company, you should be able to close a couple stores and open some stores and not show a sales loss, especially when the the North American economy, I should say, I guess I don't know what how Canada's economy is doing. I assume it's sort of pegged to the U.S. economy's performance. It's cooking along pretty well, all things considered. So I, there's a little bit of a dash of cold water on my face, I have to say, about the Indigo mm-hmm. story. That's where I'm coming from. Thoughts about this, Rebecca? Yeah, you know, 
know, not a whole lot to add on this one other than this is the, well, in our year of retail, right. really the first time that we're paying attention to Indigo yes. at all. So I have just assumed because of the, maybe this is Halo effect in action, but um, because of the glowing way that people talk about Indigo, mm. that it was doing really well. And I do think we can couch a little bit here that like a, a decline being 3.5% down in the second quarter isn't nearly the, like, this is not the struggle bus that Barnes & Noble has right. been on. Um, but it's also you know if you it kind of adds to a picture of maybe something is going on in book retail <laughs> funny um, <that's>, enough right? <laughs> you know that's not just barnes and noble mm-hmm. um which leads me back to like how much of barnes and noble's problem is a an industry kind of problem and how much is barnes and noble being barnes and noble's biggest right. problem but this sort of com- like, i think that, that's the most interesting part about this to me is that it complicates the way or adds some nuance perhaps to the way that we can look at the barnes and noble yeah. questions since apparently all we do here is look at things about barnes we're on and barnes noble. and noble death watch i mean really that's kind of where we are um or future watch or whatever else might be but I, I just thought especially for our american listeners which is most of you we didn't have a lot of talk about mm-hmm. Indigo's actual financial performance. Again, they're no, they're, I should say their position seems markedly, meaningfully stronger mm-hmm. than Barnes & Noble's, but they're not coming in great guns ablaze with a whole bunch of cash thrown off every quarter and like looking for somewhere to put it. Right. Um, that's not necessarily what's happening. So, all right, there's that follow-up. Uh, let's do our first sponsor. All right. Our first sponsor this week is Inkshares. Inkshares is a publishing and rights management platform behind books like Scott Thomas's Kill Creek and Christopher Wong's A Gentleman's Murder. Join fellow novelists in submitting your partial or finished manuscripts to Inkshares Mystery, Thriller, and Horror Contest, which runs through December 14th. At the close of the contest, Inkshares editors will review every entry and offer publishing deals to the stories with the most promise. At least three novels per contest contest will be chosen for publication and representation, and any novel that reaches 500 pre-orders or more will automatically be offered a publishing deal. Although authors are welcome to enable the sell pre-orders function in the contest to demonstrate reader interest in their stories, it's not necessary to win a publishing deal. Simply create your logline, your about page, and upload some chapters for review. Inkshare's books have garnered starred reviews in every publishing magazine, features in major publications including USA Today, The Washington Post, and The New York Times. Times, awards from organizations including the American Library Association, and have reached the global top five most sold books on Amazon. Inkshare's novels have also been licensed in foreign territories alongside top of market advances and are in development for television and film at top networks and studios. Is your novel next? Visit Inkshare's to find out more. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. All right. And some, and I don't know what chess move I made that somehow I checkmated myself with this next story. <laughs> uh, we have to talk about it. Well, they, the word, our big story this week is apparently. I guess we believe this. It hasn't been count. It hasn't been denied or otherwise undermined other places. Several outlets are reporting that the mysterious would-be buyer for Barnes and Noble was. Someone we didn't even talk about. No. Was uh, not Walmart. The British um, stationery slash book chain W.H. Smith, um, which, you know, we, we were talking on Slack. I asked people on Twitter, too, that were, we, got, we got sent this uh, people so, are, many, so times. many times, which is great because people are paying attention. Like, I just I tuned in just to see what you guys are going to say about this. There's not really an analog for this kind of a store. In the U.S., it, it feels to me a little bit like 
a Hudson bookseller's old mm-hmm. B. Dalton that has just a bunch more stationery and some snacks. It's kind of what it's like, it feels like to me. Yeah, that's that seems true to me as well. And I've been in some W.H. Smith stores, mm. like in I think in airports while traveling, that they do feel very Hudson booksellery um, for the U.S. listeners, where it's like books, magazines, earbuds. Yeah. Um, like if you forgot your phone cord, you can pick it up there, um, you know, that those kinds of destinations. I W.H. Smith just wasn't on my radar no. for this at all, probably because they don't have a large presence in the U.S. And we weren't really like we weren't really thinking about um, non-U.S., but about Barnes & Noble being bought by an entity that doesn't already operate right. at least somewhere in the U.S. But I mean, really, the the upshot here is that not only is it not Walmart, but I think this... C- Proves that Walmart is not a book retailer. I was going to say, somehow this proves that Walmart's not a book retailer, which I I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I need like Gary Kasparov's logical uh, operators to understand. I I don't think I ever said that the suitor was definitely Walmart, only that it could be. But uh, I misrepresent my case because everyone's like, ah, look, it it shows that Walmart's not a book. What? I don't I don't understand Look, that. I'm going to not interrogate that logic too much because it shakes out to me having been right. Yeah. But um <laughs> I think it's one of those logical fallacies where you know that the consequent is proved false it means the antecedent was almost it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh your congratulations for well, W.H. Smith not being Walmart, yeah, ergo I mean, Walmart is not a book retailer, well, ergo well, so I, don't, my, I don't get ar- it. My argument was the would-be buyer can't be Walmart because Walmart's not a book retailer. And you're like, well, I think Walmart is a book retailer, so it could be Walmart, and it's not Walmart, so I was Yeah, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> if if the buyer is a is a book retailer... That means that Walmart is not a book retailer. The buyer was not a, is a book retailer. Ergo, Walmart. It's like no, that's not how logic works. Oh, we're not supposed to be like using sentences that actually have the word ergo. We're getting symbolic. You know, we're getting symbolic logic corner it's, started up in here. It, it the, is, the methodology no. corner is over. Mm-hmm. It's time for basic reasoning <laughs> skills. I will say I appreciate our listeners' apparent interest in supporting my rightness, whether it's logical or not. <laughs> yeah, look at this. W.H. Smith, that means Walmart's a, not a book. What? I, I, I was like, did I? I? I really, for a minute, I was like, huh, I wonder. I'm going to take no. my wins where I can no, get them. No, that's not right. Like, you texted me this. It was really early in yes. your time when you texted me this, and I just shot back, not Walmart. Not Walmart. I was like, you're right. Time. That isn't Walmart. I was like, oh, okay. I see she's trying to flank me by getting me to concede that this proves that Walmart <laughs> is not a book read. Which not. Anyway, beyond the scope of this, W.H. Smith, um, I did a little bit of reading about it. I, I You mm-hmm. know, the thing... That as as we did our five contenders and pretenders list, the one the the hump we were having a hard time getting over is a lot of the contenders we were thinking about, especially that we would sort of neither of us would disagree our book retailers are all a lot smaller than Barnes and Noble, right? The books of millions of the world, mm-hmm. the half price books of the world, even Watersons and the the and Jolly Old England. I just don't understand it. And this one would have fallen into that category too because. They had sales of $1.65 billion in the fiscal year ended August 31, 2018, compared to sales of $3.7 billion for Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. So not even half. The difference is, and this gets back to the Indigo a little bit, is that W.H. Smith's operating profit 
uh, was $213 million compared to a net loss of $125 million for Barnes & Noble over the same period. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at you know, more than a quarter billion dollars in plus minus there. And I guess maybe... Mm-hmm. You know, between stock and cash and other and debt, you can finance it this way. Um, they do have a lot of stores, and they're opening more. And they also, the W. H. Smith stores themselves are incontrovertibly bookstores. But W. H. Smith also owns a lot of other retail chains that aren't books. So there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of complication here that's interesting to think about. Yeah, I I've been you know, not digging in nearly as much Mm. as you have, but reading some of the things that our contributors have said, um, contributors in the UK and some of the insiders members who live overseas talking about WH Smith and sort of, I've been trying to imagine what would going into a post WH Smith acquired Barnes and Noble feel like, like how, how would it be different? What would the experience be like? And I'm not really anywhere useful on Mm -hmm. that yet. Um, but I was happy to see, like, I kind of like it when we're wrong by failure of imagination. Mm -hmm. Hypocognition, (laughs) Um, baby. mm -hmm. That's the Jeff buzzword of the year for our listeners. So now I'm I'm, I'm hypercognating (laughs) it over. Now I'm doing the other. Anyway, Um, yeah, that was a nice surprise headline this week. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know this. I mean, there's certainly a stronger company um, than a Mm -hmm. lot of the uh, partners we've talked about. They had. They did acquire, we talked about this, I think, briefly, that W.H. Smith, because we, we kind of came back when we saw the story that they agreed to acquire InMotion, which is a U.S. company that mm-hmm. operates 114 stores across 43 airports. You've probably seen them. They do a lot of, like, you, you can get your headphones there, and, you know, it's more of a tech, it's like a, it's like a baby Best Buy in an airport, mm-hmm. those kinds of stores. And this came really hard upon the rumors about the Barnes Noble. So I don't know if they did in motion instead of Barnes Noble. This Barnes Noble would have been part of a larger U.S. strategy. Well, um, I don't know. Th- well, and you know, based on what we've heard about Barnes and Noble's countersuit against Demos Parneros, yeah. this deal fell through, at least in part because of, or if not completely, because of um, how. Parneros was interacting with W.H. Smith or interfering with the deal or the presentation mm-hmm. he made of what the company's value would be to them. So this is one of those where like the things that we don't get to hear are the things that I'm most interested yeah. in. Like, why did W.H. Smith entertain this in the first place? What did they plan to do with it? Uh, like, what was appealing to Barnes mm-hmm. & Noble? If you've got $213 million in operating profit with many, many fewer stores than Barnes & Noble does, like, what are you interested in? Why are right. you interested in buying a sinking ship um what were you going to do it's a good question there? it's a really good question yeah and maybe you know you can imagine in this particular case you could speculate i guess reasons mm-hmm. parneros may didn't maybe didn't want wh smith to buy them like what if assuming that he was interested in selling barnes and noble and whatever there's something about wh smith particularly he didn't want and that's why he you know took a leak on the deal for some reason right. and you can or they Im- were stipulating putting in their own right CEO yeah i mean but just right. or they're going to be londoners and the the co- corporate headquarters are going to be in london and you get squeezed out rather than a us based mm-hmm. company which is more likely to be in new york or barnes and already I, I don't know you can there's just imagine a, yeah. i watched too much mad men there's that whole storyline of mad men about <laughs> sterling cooper draper price being bought by the brits right. and it didn't work out for anyone and eventually you know spoiler alert but anyway um Interesting to see. We still don't know. This all masks the one of the questions we have is how close was this really? 
You know, mm-hmm. they took a meeting, they were going to have dinner, they canceled the dinner and they packed up and went back to London. Right. Like, I think that maybe, I can't remember, I don't think you said it on the show. Oh. I think it was on, on Slack, like wishing that we could get a John Kerry Rue version yes. of this story. Like, you know, now that he's done with bad blood, what's going on mm-hmm. at Barnes and Noble? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's acquire, that was the acquirer. Mm-hmm. Indigo's, so Indigo, the Indigo's not going to buy Barnes and Noble. They're not making enough money. I, boy, they're, the only way out is through for being in. I, I don't think there's any uh, white knights with a with a bucket of cash yeah. to come. To come I get will them. be very surprised if there's an acquisition at this point. Yeah. Um, let me do our next sponsor. Should we do Alrighty. that? Yeah. Okay. Please. Let's do that. Uh, we're going to talk about the Great Courses Plus. If you love to learn new things, you'll have so much fun exploring the Great Courses Plus. Talked about this before. It's a video and audio streaming service that helps you discover new interests and pick up new hobbies with fascinating insight from leading professors and experts. You get unlimited accents to accents. You can talk to whatever. You can listen to whatever accent. No. You get unlimited access to thousands of lectures in virtually any category. Literature, history, science, cooking, photography, so much more. Here's one you might check out. Life Lessons from Great Books. Professor Rufus Fears draws you into the world of masterpieces like Macbeth, Brave New World, The Odyssey, and more, exploring the wisdom that can be gleaned from each story. This is the kind of thing where a little self-help, a little literary history, a little fleshing out your, your canon. I know a lot of us out there that like to, like to read. I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but we want to have had read the, the, the quote-unquote great books, the canonical works of Western and world literature, even if, not even if we want to like them, just to have exposure about them and know what they are. So this is a way of getting into them with, with a certain angle. It gives you a hook rather than just sort of like, I'm going to read Dickens now for reasons, right? You can look at it with a specific angle. So that's Life Lessons from the Great Books. That's the course there. So right now, as one of our listeners, you can start enjoying the Great Courses Plus for free with an entire month of unlimited access to enjoy all of their lectures. Special limited time offer, so go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot to start your free month today. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. All right. All right. Uh, I guess it was kind of a follow-up, too. It could have gone on to the show. Why don't you tell me about this one? Okay, yeah. So we've talked about several initiatives over the years that have impacted prisoners' access to books. Um, And late last summer, Pennsylvania's Department of Corrections, or since late last summer, Pennsylvania's Department of Corrections has been rolling out enhanced security measures that they have said were designed to stop the flow of drugs into prisons. We talked about this not too long ago, where um, I'm I'm pretty sure this was also Pennsylvania, where uh, they were like, hey, we don't want people to send you books anymore, so you can buy these really expensive e-readers mm-hmm. <laughs> instead. Uh, and it was clearly, a, you know, apply all the side-eye situation. One of the things that was being wrapped into that proposal was that groups that were donating um, books to prisoners were going to be required to use the corrections department as an intermediary to get reading material material to prisoners like friends and family members who wanted to send books to inmates would have also had to order those through the department of corrections and there were a lot of criticisms of this policy including that um, it was too confusing for inmates and made it difficult to get them through books. Um, There's an organization in Philly called Books Through Bars that helped facilitate a discussion about this and negotiate with the Department of Corrections. Uh, And 
now the Department of Corrections is allowing book donation groups to communicate with inmates and allowing friends and families to buy books directly through publishers. Um, Then those purchased books can be um, sent and searched for drugs before they're delivered to inmates, but it smooths out the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think this is overall, like this is good news, but is overall a story about the ultimately the power of people pushing back on policies like this, where either, you know, they're not telling the whole story about what this policy is really all about. And it kind of doesn't matter sometimes um, when the effect is also that it that it limits access to Mm -hmm. something that prisoners are supposed to have access to. So um, if you're looking maybe for an organization um, to support through the holidays, you might check out books through bars. Um, Not a whole lot more to say about yeah, this, I but think this we is do great. Keep... It's so great. Yeah. And this kind of organization, you know, prisoners' rights, felon rights, advocates and groups do really hard and thankless work because mm-hmm. most of us don't find this particularly sexy charitable giving to do. You know, it's not right. kids reading, you know, like, again, that's a, those are worthy causes and needs effort. But it's a little bit harder, I think, for a lot of us to think charitably both, you know, in both meanings of that word, about people who are in jail um, and about people who, frankly, a lot of us would rather not think about on a daily basis. So my hat's off to Mm -hmm. the advocacy groups doing the hard slog because I do think because of the reasons I just mentioned that things happen in prison administration. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to read Angela Davis to know this to be true, that exposed to any heat and light just are obviously wrong, (laughs) like just so obviously ridiculous and exploitative and mean that just getting enough people to pay attention and was like, this is like we said on the show, even even just us being able to see the story, someone got it out Mm -hmm. there that this story was happening enough that people got involved and said, this is so obviously wrong. Please don't do this anymore. And whether they wanted to or they had leverage or they thought of it in a way, um, the administrators at the DOC, the Department of Corrections in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. agreed. So they can't, the, the books will be searched for drugs, which we said, can't they just search the books? Like, I don't get why you get, like, <laughs> it's impossible to search these books, so you can't have any of them. Like, it, it seemed a little bit of, a, mm-hmm. well, as it turned out, a, absurdity. Um, but apparently there are several other um, Pennsylvanians, Pittsburgh-based groups that gave feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, fr- family and friends can buy books directly through the publishers. Book donation groups can communicate with inmates, yep. which I didn't think about before. So like, they can kind of know their rights to some degree, I guess, mm-hmm. almost like having a lawyer present. Um, like, you know, here's what you should be able to get. And if you're not, let us know and we'll bring to bear what um, uh And presumably that means do. they can maybe take requests from the inmates as well for what kinds of books they're looking for, what kind of education are they seeking. Um, We do, I was just curious because it feels to me like we talk about something like this, not Mm -hmm. infrequently. So I searched through our podcast agenda, which now is more than five years old, Mm -hmm. but we've talked about at least a dozen of these kinds of stories over the years about um, prisoners' access to books being limited. And as you were saying, I do think it's, you know, it, it it's easy to write off the people that are in prison or mm-hmm. or just to allow the fact that they're dehumanized in so many ways by those situations to continue because there are so many other things that we're paying attention to, you know, just yeah. out in the world in 2018. I'm really thankful that someone is paying attention to this and that if we believe in the power of books and reading, we have to believe in the, the power mm. of books and reading for anyone who might encounter books in their lives or who might need them. So. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check out books through bars as well. 
It's that time of year, Rebecca. Where do you want to go? Where well, we're starting to get the uh, early salvos and the best books of the year. Um, war. Um, the war? Is it a war? I don't think it's a war. Well, it, uh, Deluge, Onslaught, whatever you they're, want to say, mm-hmm. they're going to start coming. We already Publishers Weekly is usually the first out of the gate. They were the first out of the gate. We just didn't talk about it. Cause, In October... Yeah, I, I guess arbitrary flipping of the calendar. It was nine days ago. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> Amazon's editor's picks we're going to talk about because you put it in the show notes, I guess. But I, <laughs> I find it interesting. I mean, it's it, this is going to get a lot of publicity. And this is like the editorial... I mean, fr- frankly, mm-hmm. the editorial judgment of the largest bookseller in the world matters. It just does. Yes. It just does. It just that's, does. So, yeah, that's why it's in the show notes. But yeah. first of all... I'm sad that you're not sharing my outrage about publishing a best books of the year list in October. But November um, 9th is okay or it's 6th. Just, it's well, it's still too soon, I think. Like I I think that best books of the year list should come out like much closer to Thanksgiving. But Okay. Whatever, they didn't ask me. Do anyway, you, do you rail against is, um, um Christmas decorations at the grocery I, store in I October? Do, yes. Mhm. Yeah, I went to Lowe's last week to get a house plant and there were or maybe two weeks ago and there were Christmas things. And it was like it was before Halloween and Christmas trees were out. Like I, I do rail against Christmas creep. I think best books of the year creep is the same thing. OK, OK, that's this. This is just where I'm at All today, right, Jeff. Sure, I'm still I, eating Halloween know, candy. <laughs> that's fine. I, I okay. can hear you. Um, <laughs> so, on the whole, the list pretty good. You know, it is. And it's. I am more surprised by this list than I have been hmm. surprised by Amazon lists in past years. Oh, tell me why. Well, I, there's a couple possibilities. Okay. One is maybe I'm just reading different things this year. Like we, neither of us has been reading a lot of fiction, so I've been looking at the fiction picks. Hmm. Like, all right, I heard you know, Ch- everyone loves Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. That's on here. Everybody loves They're There by Tommy Orange. That's on here. But like Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield didn't yeah. really rise to my level of attention threshold. Virgil Wander by Leif Inger. The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn. I heard a lot about, but didn't know it was like that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, surpri- I guess, it, I just, I found it surprising. Like the one that I wasn't surprised by was Educated by Tara Westover. No. Um, They're there, not surprised. Right, yeah. Dope Sick by Beth Macy has gotten a lot of great attention this year. Um, Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rao. Bad Blood, our fave. Yeah. Um, Made the list. There's a Tana French, The Witch Elm, and then Yuval Noah Harari's 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Um, But like, I guess maybe I'm just not paying as good of attention as I used to, or these Amazon editors have different tastes than I do, or or both. But um, I was surprised to see... Kristen Hanna, The Great Alone. Um, I was was surprised by the Otessa Moshevig, Mm -hmm. My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Um, There is an interesting mix of genres and commercial, uh, like levels of commercial appeal here that feels right. Like that feels right to me for Amazon to have, they go, they range all the brows, you know, like there's the highbrow and the lowbrow and all the things in between. Based on, uh, based on the number of Amazon reviews per title, I always think that's interesting. Mm. So Wolves of Eden by Kevin McCarthy. Now, granted, it came out four days ago, but usually you get, there's only two customer reviews on Amazon. For wow. that book. And usually books of, of any kind, they have, you know, the, the Vine program, you can get them before, other things like that. But mm-hmm. only two. So that's, it's a Norton title. It's a, it's a historical novel um, 
based in you know set in the in the American West. That one I thought was interesting. The Stephen King is on here, which often doesn't make these. Stephen King sort mm-hmm. of transcends or subsumes or like whatever. It's like almost in a different literary universe than book publishing writ large, I should say. And so often yeah. it's, well, is that, am I wrong? I mean, maybe I'm overstating. No, I but, think that, no, I think that's right. It's like he, he does kind of defy genre yeah. and classification in a lot of ways. And then will has the potential to sell just so many books and has right. over such a long period of time that we don't often I don't think like the industry often thinks of him as someone mm-hmm. who's going to be a contender for the best books of the year list. Yeah, like not, doesn't even doesn't even care about that ballpark. Is playing a different game. I don't no. know what sports metaphor I'm looking for. <laughs> Just by comparison, two two reviews for the the oh wolves. I can't remember the name of the book I was talking about. Anyway, the one that did two reviews once upon a river the Setterfield, it doesn't come out until december 4th and it has seven reviews so mm. so that's really an underdog story there um i guess in terms of overdog stories uh the ones <laughs> that have sold very well the woman in the window has almost five thousand reviews um the great alone the Kristen hannah has 4600 reviews coming mm-hmm. off the the huge success of the nightingale um people are following her to her next book which is i'm, I'm glad to see for yeah. her sake um, Tara Westover, The Educated has 2,800. 2,800. Bad Blood has 1,100. Oh, yeah. Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom has 12. Yeah, that's not many. Is that um, out? Oh, that's a good question. Let's click and find Let's, out. Yeah. Clicking it, on it clicking came out online. on October 16th. Yeah. Um, edu- <laughs> it's been out for a few weeks, but like. Washington Black biography. has 31. Indianapolis, The True Story of the Worst Sea Disaster in the U.S. Naval History. This is the only book on here I don't think I had seen at all. Like even the the ones, the other ones. I this mm. is military history is not something I pay attention to. That sells well, and this is particularly a good one. Um, is there anything on here you're going to pick up that you? I'm going to read there there about? eventually. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read there there eventually. Um, I I don't think so. I don't think there's anything on here that I haven't read that I'm going to read. That that's just the honest truth. Yeah, the one I've been sort of circling around and have been circling around it for months is The Line Becomes a River, Dispatches yeah. from the Border by Francisco Cantu. Um, that is a, he, um, his mother was a park ranger and the daughter of a Mexican immigrant, and he was raised in the Southwest and is looking, he eventually joins the Border Patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is certainly a, t- a time of political life where we're thinking a lot about um, what borders mean and uh, I think that might be an interesting story but I'm also in such a place with my not like we're both reading weird nonfiction that kind of makes yep. us feel happy about <laughs> about things I'm just <laughs> like like yes 400 pages about milk please um, that the uh, the seriousness of that I'm not sure I'll actually get to I don't know if I have that right yep. um, yeah I guess I don't think we said but um, there is a number one the first among equals here is educated the Westover mm-hmm. is the number one pick yeah. which uh, I don't know what to think about that I like the yeah, book I liked the book too this is that game like I think you told me that you and Michelle play this game of like is it the best or is it your favorite yeah right and these lists are a moment where that distinction would be meaningful to me mm-hmm. um, like I think the I think educated is a great book um I have a hard time with the idea of it as the best book of the whole year and that's not to diminish it but there were some I think books with broader applicability or bigger yeah bigger messages this year um that i i think i would have gone if i had to do you know 
here's the I kind of take this is our number one pick of the year to kind of be like if you're going to read one book this yeah. year read this one and I have a little eh, for for the selection of educated there. yeah that's interesting um you know the other, it's also the phrasing is weird the number one pick for the best book of the year so not they're not actually saying it's the best book <laughs> of the year they're just saying it's our number one pick for the which is Maybe well, I'm combing for too fine of a brush. Mm-hmm. They're saying it. They just said it clunkily. Yeah. Um, I tend to think of these as like which one in 30, 40, 50 years is oh, going to hold interesting. up. If that's the best book, theoretically, you know, it's going to hold up. Memoirs don't typically. Um, right. And if they do, there's, I don't know. You've got to be Booker T. Washington, Frederick right. Douglass. Right, you have to be like really of a historical moment yeah and, and this one is this very is. specific mm-hmm. um you know for those of you who don't know tara westover it's, a, it's a, her memoir of growing up in a very fundamentalist mormon family she's very clear not to paint all of mormonism there's a the interesting prologue is one of the most interesting parts mm-hmm. about the book where she says you know yeah. this is a story of my these specific people and so on and so forth and how she got out became educated um yeah, struggles her father's a survivalist it's like very yeah it's, it's sort of prepper br- it's, kinds it's of violent it's difficult mm-hmm. um it's introspective it's literary um and it's great I, it's great i really enjoyed the book i think it's a really good read i agree again if you're asking me to pick one of these over that i'm gonna have a hard time just because i haven't read a lot of them like my favorite read of the year is clearly bad blood like, it's clearly. clearly my favorite read of the year. <laughs> is Educated better than Bad Blood? Mm. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Depends on what you mean by better. I know this is all relative. It, I have to I have to start thinking, I guess, about what my yeah. favorite read of the year is. We'll right. have to do that in a couple weeks. Well, what's, it, what's that scene in Dead Poets Society where you, you graph the importance of the story versus the execution? <laughs> a f, mm-hmm. f. Richard's Pritchett or something, like he ripped the book in half. <laughs> and there's something... I mean... That story, that that scene is supposed to be like you're not supposed to evaluate things according to sale. But I think we do that anyway. Like, how great is this? How important is the story and how well is it executed? Mm-hmm. Kind of is what happens here. Now, Tara has an unbelievable story and it's well executed. Okay, well, that's yeah. p- tough to beat, I guess. And. I think also Amazon being a retailer, like they're doing a different thing perhaps with their yeah. best books of the year list than like than we're doing necessarily. Because we're talking about here are things we think you should read. And Amazon is talking about not just here are things we think you should read, but mm-hmm. here are things that we hope you will buy for other people. Yeah, right. the, you know, because the holidays are approaching. And educated in that respect, I think is a pretty good, if not, it, it might not be like fully Swiss army because it is violent yeah. and there are some, you know, really difficult aspects, but I think a very wide range of readers can I think enjoy that's a very good that point. book. Um, so if you're like noodling around trying to figure out what to get somebody, what book to get them for Christmas, and you land on this page at Amazon and you're like, well, this is the number one, mm-hmm. that's, it's, pr- you know, you're, you're probably pretty safe um, giving it to just about anybody on right, your Right, because you're threading the needle of like gravitas and readability, right? Like right, that's like, what you're kind of trying to do yeah, for Amazon and, here. And I think Indianapolis, like that's, a, like there's your dad there, book. Yeah, the there's your dad pick, yeah. <laughs> You know, there's your dad pick. The line becomes a river is for your like political pick. Mm -hmm. Children of blood and bone is a great 
um, like sci-fi fantasy, YA fantasy, YA. Yeah. Um, the consensus on the book riot back channels is that the woman in the window does not actually rise to the level of good enough to make a list like this. Interesting. But if you're looking for a mystery, like for a you know domestic thriller to give to somebody in the year, like one of our salespeople was like, "This is the year of the domestic thriller." It seems mm. like um, that's probably the place. To go, Diane Setterfield is her name is so recognizable because everybody read the Thirteenth Tale. So like, look. And now that I'm looking at this list through the lens of like, what gifts do you give people? It's making a lot more sense to me. You got your Frederick Douglass, big old biography, right? Which I guess if you think of it that way, then what what um, book buying list checkbox is missing? I guess only Children of Blood and Bone is the only YA, right? Mm There's no middle grade. There's no picture books. I guess you right. don't think of them in this regard. There's not a romance. Um, there's not a romance. I got to say, there's not a lot of fun on this list. <laughs> like, That's interesting. Like, there's not a, yeah, there's not a, like, it, just go enjoy yourself reading this book. Maybe the Tana French rises to that occasion. Yeah. Um, I mean, Children of Blood and Bone is a, th- I mean, that's a, it's a fantasy, so those are by definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not there's not a comic novel. There's not you know a big commercial novel. I guess the Setterfield, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, a couple big history books, historical fiction, literary fiction. Yeah, I think the educated is like if you're the kind of person who's going to buy for yourself or someone else the number one best book of the year. You're not looking for like a straight up page turner, nor are you re- really looking for sort of whatever you know, is the most literary, experimental, sort right, of cutting right. edge, formally high art, high art kind yeah. of stuff. That's a pretty, using that matrix, which you outlined, I think that's a good way of thinking about what that book is. Um, mm-hmm. I could see just, I haven't read there that I've read a lot about it. I think you could sub that one out in much the same way. It's a page turner. It feels like you're reading something important, um, so on and so forth. So yeah, interesting list. I, I'd like to know, again, you and I always want to know as much as we want to see like the thing that's produced, we want to see the thing, uh-huh. the process How that produced the How did the sausage get made? Like, yeah, were they, did they really have these sort of meta concerns or was it much more of a blank canvas of, you know, we, outside of whatever else this might do for sales or what people think of this list or us or their company, like this is us sort of doing a rank order for posterity mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, anyway, there's that. Uh, let me do, well, this is kind of another update and then we'll do a sponsor in our last couple of stories. Um, another woman quits scandal plagued, scandal plagued at this point is like, is like so it's under- like an <laughs> understatement. I know it's like a, what's that, what's that racially tinged as a euphemism for <laughs> racist now? Um, yeah. fricking broke and floundering Swedish Academy, I think is what we should be saying <laughs> here. The theology professor had joined in December and now is stepping down. Um, leaving the body, the latest person to quit. Her name is, oh, oh boy, Jane. Last, Jane's Swedish last name, who joined in December, is the eighth person to quit and forced off the, or be forced off the board. Um, there you go. It doesn't say in the ongoing like calculus of the viability of the board whether this means they are now below the threshold, where the threshold is. The sands, the sands shift so quickly that I... 
even having done a whole annotated episode about it, I'm still like, now what does this mean? So yeah. I, I'm lost. Did you get yeah. a better sense of it than I did? I wish that I could say so. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> um, we should have called in uh, yeah, Emily Erica and, or, or Emily, right. Yeah, yeah our you know, resident um, Swedish librarian expert uh, about this. I had the same like, okay, well, of course someone else is resigning because this thing is just broke and like broken and floundering um but the piece that we're seeing here um from the cbc doesn't have like the the analysis focuses on the scandal and not the impact to the academy which has just as we have talked about so many like arcane and very tight constraints around who can be on the academy can they even really resign um or (laughs) right like that was yeah yeah, right like when i saw quits i was like wait i thought they couldn't Mm -hmm. quit like um, what this even what what this actually means remains a question, but uh, they're not done with the consequences no. over at the Swedish Academy. I think is the top line note there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a piece also a, a, a piece of this story that we didn't cover, though it's related. Is the person who was the Harvey Weinstein of this moment for the the Swedish Academy, Jean Claude Arnault, who was. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the partner, paramour, friend, associate of people associated with the Swedish Academy that 18 women came forward and said had variously assaulted, raped, harassed, otherwise was convicted last Mm -hmm. month of rape and sentenced to two years in prison. So that part, a little closure is maybe too strong, but the consequence, material consequence and um, legal proceedings against him... I wondered if that would mark a turning point for the Swedish Academy. Like once the guy was actually in jail and convicted, Mm. maybe that would provide some clarity. doesn't seem to be. I thought we turned the corner and this seems to me that we haven't. I guess we'll find out. Even the coverage, the CBC piece, they don't say anything about the consequence. So they don't know. I think they're in the same boat we are. They don't know what this means. Whether there's even a corner to turn. (laughs) And are you supposed to turn it or go through it or around it? Right. It's it's all shruggy emoji about (laughs) what's like, it's like the the new Academy or the Nobel Academy, like shruggy emoji. Right. Just who knows what's going on over there or how they're going to handle the rest of it. But it's, it's only getting messier. Yeah. Okay. Okay, messier, messier, and messier. Um, the the uh, uh, and ap- with apologies to uh, Lewis Carroll for a curiouser and curiouser. Um, <laughs> we'll do our last bonds here. I like this kind of um, the the talking points. The number one thing with an asterisk is please feel free to go rogue, which yeah, you know I can't I can't too. turn this down. So thanks to two years of research and development and multiple improvements in design, performance, and comfort, which I think is probably implicit in development. I don't know. Bombus are. The most comfortable socks in the history of feet. The untowed story, as I've said before, of the history of feet. With an arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most. And a cushioned footbed. I like the Dickensian capitalization of cushioned footbed there. Just we're going to capitalize those nouns and the adjective. That's reinforced for comfort without added bulkiness. Bombus feel like a hug around your foot. There's some weird, like... Bombus is plural and singular. Is it is one sock a bomba? <laughs> is it la bombas? La bomba, um, the forbidden sock. <laughs> uh, bombas feel like a hug around your foot. Well, that's one foot. So I don't think this is the rogue they were going for. You know what? You can't tell me. Telling me how to go rogue is not technically going rogue. 
You can't say go rogue like this. That, that's not how that works. Not to mention, Bombus's stay-up technology <laughs> ensures that your socks stay in place without leaving a mark. Staying in place, unlike my ad read uh, right now. Your socks will not go rogue. They will not go rogue. Um, and the super soft cotton material makes you never want to take off. I think there's a typo there. It should take them off. Uh, you never want to take off like you just stay in the plane. You just stay on the tarmac uh, with your socks on, uh, staying up. <laughs> so whether you are a runner, power walker, power launcher, lounger, power lunger, that's a different thing. <laughs> you could wear these for power lounger. Power lounger. There's a pair of Bombas that'll add comfort to your life. Like I said before, if I, not all my socks are Bombas, but if they're a clean Bombas, I will pick them out of the drawer first. I, I am not wearing them right now, sadly, because you know what? I need to do laundry. I've decided they're so comfortable that I, th- I can't. I'm not, I need to go buy some more. These socks feel like some fun color. Oh, no, that's actually the copy. I'm supposed to use fun <laughs> colorful language. They, they're fun and they are colorful. I, I, I have yes. orange socks. And you know me. Yeah, that's not a Jeff thing to I do, was, and I like right, them. Right. Like, I have a bunch of Bombas that are like three colors, you know, wild mixed together yes. but it's much more believable typically for me to have colorful socks than no. than you and you have embraced the whimsy of the bombas well you know what when when socks feel that good they can whimsy all over my feet i don't care they can just get they their have embraced on. you because that's right that's right feet, they have embraced me uh literally i have embraced them metaphorically go to bombas.com slash book riot and use the code book riot for 20 percent off your first order that's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash book riot. Code book riot. Gotta do it do it two times. And you'll get twenty percent off your first order. Oh boy. They can't they you can't know, get mad at me. They can't. I I I got we, I got external principle. Go rogue. Please. <laughs> Begging me even. We had Kit Kats for lunch. We made it this far before it's anything Tuesday, went off the It's rails. a Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon. It's Friday. <laughs> what is? What are you doing yeah, I don't over know. there? I don't know. Time is a flat circle. Uh, I thought this story was super fascinating, and by the time I saw it, it was over. So I didn't. I wasn't sure it's going to to where we're going to be by the time we got to the the show this week. But there was a worldwide strike by antiquarian booksellers, which is just a phrase, you know, all my dopamine mm-hmm. is firing when I'm thinking about a worldwide strike by antiquarian <laughs> booksellers. We're only sad it happened too fast to be an antiquarian. I know, right? I didn't, even get to, I didn't get to wallow around in it. Against an Amazon subsidiary, it's ABE Books. Is you say that ABE or is it Abe? I don't even know how you're supposed I to say it. I say Abe. Is it Abe? But I think it's like Lincoln. No, okay, it's, yeah. okay, so not, it's not a... Uh, uh, Acronym. It's not an acronym. Um, with the retailer apologizing, say it would cancel the actions that prompted the protest. It was a rare concerted uprising against any part of Amazon by any of its millions of suppliers. So here's what happened. Um, Amazon uh, was going to cut off stores in or Amazon, Abe Books, which is, I believe, wholly owned by Amazon, was going to cut off stores in five countries from being able to list their books. So the way Abe Books works is it's a marketplace for used and antiquarian and rare booksellers to list their things. So it's like, it's like eBay for rare books, I guess is the way of saying it. Um, they are themselves are not the retailer, but they, you know, give platforms to the smaller suppliers, but they were going to, they were going to basically boot the Czech uh, retailers from the Czech Republic, Poland, Hungary, South Korea, and Russia. And they never explained why beyond said it was related to pro- payment processing which I don't understand. And then the antiquarian book world sort of got up from its musty tomes and said, nay, and uh, here we are. Um, a Books was saying, and, they, and so uh, in protest, 
Nearly 600 booksellers in 27 countries started removing millions of books, saying, okay, if they can't play, we don't want to play either. I think there's more to this story than I meets the eye. What? what so why do you think too. my eye says this? I want to see if we're thinking along the same lines. Well, okay, so... It seems like there must have been a reason, yeah. but the reason wasn't given. Yes. And that raises my, mm-hmm. you know, that gets my eyebrow up about like, a books never explained its actions beyond saying it was related to payment processing. Yep. Like that may be true. And if it is true, like they, like maybe they have a legit business reason yes. for needing to make this but change. Then why but not in, say it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. In my experience, if you have a legit reason, like a legit and defensible reason for a thing, then reasonable people will take your legit reason, even if they don't mm-hmm. like it. If you could say like, here is here is the thing. Nobody likes it. But because of this thing, we have to pull out of the following countries. We're so sorry. It's disappointing. Either we're going to look at other options or we've investigated all of the options and there just really is nothing that we can do about it. But the fact that no explanation yep. was given, um, I think that's probably really what got people upset because there's this statement from Scott Brown in California who says booksellers everywhere felt they might be next. Sure. So, right. So it's like if there's no re- real reason given, it's like, well, what's going to keep them? from pulling you know mm-hmm. pulling my store or pulling all the stores it makes people paranoid when you make decisions like this or makes them worried maybe paranoid is justified um when you you know do something like this without any explanation and it's unclear are these the only five are there going to yeah. be more like it just is this the end is it the beginning is it the middle right. where are we yeah. in this story? if you don't define where you are right then and then people start running right on down the slippery slope mm-hmm. like the worst possible things that could happen and just the fact that no explanation was given and then that they backed down like that you know that this strike was successful um seems to indicate like well there amazon and abooks must have had some other options yeah. like if you can, if you can reverse the decision <laughs> Right. <laughs> then it's then it's not a necessary decision. It's not a corner you were backed into. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I am. Tell me about your raised Can, eyebrows. You want to hear a conspiracy, Jeff? Please, let's tinfoil. So hat all the way. I don't know if it's a story we talked about on the show, but in the course of like doing Jeff things for annotated and the site and related things, I've come across a couple of stories that talk about how some there, there's suspicions that some. I guess it was I was doing I was doing research for uh, the used episode of Annotated about used book prices and like the algorithms and the pricing and things going. But every now and again, you'll see a link to like why is this book going for eight hundred dollars? Like this random mm-hmm. used book that doesn't seem to have any. And one of the whispers I've heard is that there's money laundering that happens around used and antiquarian books oh, mm-hmm. because there's no market price. So one way to launder money might be to p- overpay for a book that has no discernible market value, no external principal market value necessarily, and you can launder money that way. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. This is all conspiracy theory. I know nothing. But the end of that list is Russia. Mm. And I'm just wondering, you know, you've got Eastern European countries, South Korea and Russia. I just wonder if payment processing, if they are, if they are, accessory and i'm not using that legally but like if they if a books thought that there might if they saw irregularities in prices for books and they're the mechanism by which these transactions are happening 
maybe they have a legal problem or they thought they might have a legal problem. That's mm-hmm. where I'm going because it's related to payment processing. Well, what does that mean? I mean, mm-hmm. presumably Russia and South Korea aren't using just like their own, the same provider. Is it PayPal? Is it credit cards? Could they not trust the central banks of these people? I don't know. And I think that's where I'm, that's where I was conspiracies, Jeff. Tinfoil uh-huh. hat is really firing. It's like, why these five countries? And what is the good, honest reason they cannot express? And if they mm-hmm. say, we were nervous about money laundering on our platform, you probably don't want to say that for legal and or like other kinds of reasons. Maybe that shakes confidence in the suppliers in the system itself, uh, in buyers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That, that's tinfoil like hat, in, Jeff. Sure. Or if law enforcement, I like this tinfoil Oh, hat. yes. I, if, I thought you might. we need a tinfoil hat built for two yes Uh, (laughs) yeah i think i think that this is actually a believable theory um it's plausible because it's not probable plausible right they could also like if law if they are suspicious that these things are going on if law enforcement is involved at all you typically don't make statements about like well we have the lawyers or the police officers (laughs) looking into how these things we're going through our transaction records and we think the mob is involved but you know shrugging emoji it's all fine Right. You don't typically like send a memo to the bad guy like <laughs> FYI, we yeah. think maybe you're laundering money. So we're looking into it. Please, you know, chill out while we put your money laundering mechanism on hold. Sure. Yeah. But everything's fine. Um, this is one that maybe there will be more to it. Like if that's what's going on, if they if uh, if your conspiracy is real and Amazon has discovered yeah. some shenanigans, then presumably they're going to have to address them at some point. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe there would be like legal action and then we would get the whole story. But the like hmm, what's going on here? I I also had a like this this doesn't feel like the complete truth. Yeah. It's so me I mean, it does remind me again that these modern giant companies, especially technological companies, and it's been this way for, you know, megacorps for a while, they transcend sovereign borders everywhere, all the time. Mm-hmm. And so what legal authority outside of any particular legal authority in these in a country could could enforce, investigate? They have to police themselves to some degree, right? I mean we have to right. they just they just do because Unless Interpol or someone is getting involved, I just don't see what's going on here. Again, this is a plausible, If pro- it's probably not, but you could, it, a lot of the pieces fit together, which is the great thing about mm-hmm. conspiracy theories. Right. The pieces fit, there's no counter evidence, and you can't prove a negative. Is like, those are the three ingredients you need for conspiracy theory. <laughs> that's um, that's uh, too, too good to be true. But so th- at the very least, it's an odd story. Um, executed oddly and remedied awfully quickly at the same time. So I don't know yeah. what's, what's happening here. And, you know, it's the headline is booksellers are Victorians against Amazon subsidiary, which is interesting framing. Yep. I want to point out like that what's going on here. Like, yes, this the headline is true, but it's not it, it doesn't feel like fully accurate to convey it that way because this is also like this is a clickbait <laughs> oh yeah to it get, totally is. you know you know that every independent bookstore owner in the country was like well how do we do that yes. you know like like how do we get what what kind of protest can we have um and it wasn't just like let's protest amazon it was here's a policy change right. that doesn't quite add up and we are objecting to this policy change and um amazon being amazon like i wouldn't be surprised if 
this is not the last action that will happen around a books and mm. limiting. Like now I'm speculating, but I would guess that Amazon is strategizing about like if they still have a reason related to payment processing to handle something in those five countries now they're figuring out how to handle it and how much they can disclose to like keep these booksellers from striking again yeah you wonder almost like the quick resolution did they want the booksellers on the platform again or do they want no one paying attention to it like right there's a couple of ways those things can go and the the booksellers that represent from the International League of Antiquarian the international I like the international <laughs> leagues of all kinds especially antiquarian <laughs> booksellers um, this is this is what happens when you've read uh, twenty four Mister Penumbra's twenty four hour bookstore right <laughs> something straight out of that but like mm-hmm. they didn't apparently get an answer either or they were told not to say what the answer was all they were told is they apologized profusely and reversed their decision yeah. Yeah, what kind of discussions that are under NDA happen? Yeah. I need to know. And was the NDA an offer you can't reviews from the Hungarian mob? We can, I can't say it's not. <laughs> That's our show this week, guys. Go to bookriot.com slash listen for show notes to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast. Um, W.H. Smith, if you know it, if you love it, if you've been there, if you hate it, please shoot us an email. We need context. We need on-the-ground reporting from those of you who have spent time, money, and attention around in W.H. Smith's stores. Podcast Feel free to make right a slide deck of your feelings about it. All, yeah, slide deck of your feelings, a photographic essay, a, 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 a dream journal, a hope chest, whatever you've got, we will definitely look at it that way. Also, anything that you've got that would lend credence to my crackpot mob <laughs> laundering theory, podcast at bookriot.com, Anything that would would um, uh, disprove it, please send to the New York Times. I don't want it. That's not. I don't. I, you know what? I'm, I, I'll have fun with it until I can't have fun with it anymore. That's our show, Rebecca. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good one.